from the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to season six of the Wine Crush podcast. Stories uncorked for wine enthusiasts around the world. Featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley and beyond. From origin stories to terroir, here's your host, Heidi Moore. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Wine Crush Podcast. It is season six, episode six. A little bit confusing there, I guess, for me. So we are so happy that you are here to join us today. We have two great stories. We actually have a reboot that was a last minute insert. Thank you very much. And we are going to start the day with a place where we've never had anybody bring wine from and be on the show. So we have Trina Galloway with Grateful Vineyards. She's at the base of Mount Hood in the Gorge, and it's just an absolute stunning location. She's going to tell us all about it, so I'm not going to tell anymore because there's lots of good stuff to share. But Trina, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show, and thank you for making the drive because I just made the drive two weeks ago, and it's not short. Heidi, pleasure to be here. (laughs) Thanks for having me. So let's talk about Grateful Vineyard because I love family farms and I love family stories. So I'm going to kind of give you the, you know, the mic to run with and let's hear all about how, what, where and what you're doing now. Great. Yeah. So my family has been farming in the Upper Hood River Valley in Parkdale for three generations. I bought the farm from my parents in 2000, into 14, beginning of 15. And they were thankfully open enough to allow me to make a few changes to it to make it a little bit more personally mine as well. So I started making hard cider in college, and we had all these apples because we grow a bunch of fruit on our farm. So before we knew it, we were making hard cider, and we were selling it at our farm stand as well. And I told my mom, I would love to plant some grapes, and I'm not sure if they'll make it at our elevation because we are a high elevation vineyard in the Columbia Gorge AVA. What is the elevation up there? I think we're at 1,600 Um, above seawater. So it's pretty, and we're about 10 miles as the crow flies from Mount Hood. It's, I mean, like Mount Hood is like right there. Like when I got there, it was beautiful and sunshiny and a little bit chilly. And when I left, it was snowing. Right. Yes. It was crazy day. I mean, we have all four seasons, definitely. We're open year round. So we do get a lot of people that like to come sip off Mount Hood after they've gone skiing. But a lot of people join us. They're probably our busiest seasons are spring and summer. Yeah, I've seen the pictures and I know you have like flowers and you have all this kind of beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. So kind of rewind back to the making alcohol in college. I think every winemaker, brewer, cider maker has literally made hooch in college on some level. I mean, is it just that inherent need for making your own and you can't buy it? Or is it just something you had an interest in and wanted to check it out? Well, my grandparents immigrated here from Switzerland, and my grandpa used to make the cider every kind of uh, around Thanksgiving, and then we'd enjoy it around Christmas. And it was very apple forward. It wasn't overly sweet, and it just was fantastic. And everything at the time in college tasted like very fake and like a Jolly Rancher and like overly sweet, all the ciders. So anytime I went to a party, everything that was being served, I didn't care for. So I thought, I know how to make this. I'm going to start making this. So my first batches were really primitive. And I just had like a jug of non-pasteurized apple juice. I'd pitch the yeast. I'd pitch the nutrients, shake it up, put a top on it so it could bubble and 
before I knew it, in about 28 days, I would have hard cider and then I would share it with my friends. I can only imagine you were very popular in, <laughs> in the apartment complex or the dorm. I don't know. Maybe with like cider nerds, but I don't know <laughs> yes. if I was winning any, everyone, everyone's heart on campus. Oh, that's I love that. So, OK, so one of the other things that we talked about was that my grandparents immigrated from Switzerland oh, as well. Right. And I just have such a kinship with somebody who has kind of that same background in history. Mine settled in Tillamook and milked dairy cows and, you know, the low part of the valley at zero elevation. And yours seemed to go up uphill and be more like the Alps, I guess. Well, originally, my grandparents, great-grandparents, they lived in Helvetia, which means Little Switzerland. And they had, did a, not dairy, know that. They had a dairy and they planted, it's called Jungen Vineyards. And I think it's now called Helvetia Vineyards. There's new ownership. So I think Swiss people, right? Wine and cheese. They're going to do that. That's what they know. So my grandpa, though, when he finished school, he moved up to Parkdale to be and marry my grandmother. They were teachers up there, and they would buy 10 acres at a time of apple or pear orchards. So before they knew it, they were kind of out of education, and they were full-time farmers. And my mom grew up on the farm that I'm on, and she and my dad, they were teachers in the Eugene Springfield area, and they decided they wanted a farm. So when they were 30, they moved back to Parkdale, had all of us there on the farm. And then and when I was kind of later 30s, I decided I was going to do the same. It's I, I love it. I love family farms. I love family farm stories. And then the fact that your parents live basically in the other half of your house and you guys are still all on the same property is just sweet. Yeah. You know, I think multi-generational farming is becoming more and more rare Unfortunately, small family farms are kind of becoming uh, more and more attractive to people who aren't interested in farming or larger, more commercial farms are buying them up. So I think when you have a chance to go visit a small family farm or vineyard where there's multiple generations, you're on something that's pretty precious in Oregon. I totally agree. There's just a different vibe. There's a different feeling. There's a different passion. I mean, there's literally heart, soul, and history in every step of that property, and you have so much pride in it. So I definitely agree. And it was very apparent when I was out there because even though it was muddy and even though it was cold, we still went for a little walk down the driveway and you showed me the orchards and the wedding facility. And we did not make it to Carlos. So let's talk about Carlos really quick because I was really sad that I missed him. Oh, so Carlos is our mascot. He's a Texas Longhorn. He happens to be 27 years young, so he's definitely a grandpa. We're not sure how long he'll live. I've looked up that sometimes between 25 and 30 years, so Carlos is kind of beating the odds. Um, everybody loves to come see him. He loves to snack on pears. Sometimes we feed him carrots. He eats well. He eats like a king down there. Well, with looking at his picture over the mantle in the, in the tasting room, obviously there's a great amount of love for Carlos, and he's not skinny and He's very shiny. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, In fact, my husband keeps saying maybe we need to get another little Texas Longhorn, like a little Carlito. And so if and when Carlos graduates, we'll have another one in the lineup that we can also spoil with pears and carrots and all the things. There is something about cows with apples and especially fermented apples that makes them a little cuckoo. I'm not sure if Carlos gets the fermented apples or not, but our cows definitely are a little bit on the cuckoo-cachoo 
once it gets like late in the season and they that's when they break out of the fence because they want all the apples that are on the ground and um, then we have drunk cows. Oh, you know, so we share with Carlos our pumice from pressing cider Mm -hmm. or we also have quite a bit of grain because we're a brewery, winery, cidery. So we do all three, which makes us a little bit different than just a traditional winery. Very unique. I had no idea that was the case when I came up there and your brewer, winemaker, cider maker (laughs) answered the door. And I talked to him for a few minutes as you were kind of making your way from the house. And I'm just like, oh, and you do that? And oh, and you do that? I'm like, oh my goodness, how do you do all of that? And so it was really a really nice treat, especially since we've really started talking about and enjoying cider as well. We haven't really talked about beer on the show, so you'll be kind of a first to have like the like the trifecta. Yeah. Well, one thing that makes us unique, everything we serve on the farm has to have fruit in it. And that's sort of just a county rule if you're serving alcohol on a farm. So all of our beer actually has a percentage of pear in it, which is sort of like not a distinctive flavoring that you could taste, but it does increase the alcohol content a little bit because there are sugars in pears. So our brewer helps with our beer and our cider. And then we actually have a winemaker named Allie Mayfield, and she lives out in the Tri-City area, but she will send him notes for like what to add or what to do. And then she comes, of course, when we're filtering or bottling, and she kind of manages our wine production kind of remotely. And that seems to be pretty common anymore. You get a lot of that, that have kind of that remote job and their input, and they're sort of part of it, but they're not part of it you know, all the time, every day. So she's pretty present though. Yeah. And like we we talk pretty regularly, really proud of these wines. The Our 2022 harvests are sparkling um, rosé is a blend of Cab Franc, Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris, but about 70% of it being Cab Franc. So it's, you can definitely distinguish that first. And then we force carved it and we put them in 500 mil bottles for a couple of reasons. They're a little bit more drinkable, like sparkling wines. Sometimes it's hard. You either feel like you have to finish them or it's hard to kind of keep them going. So 500 mils helps if you just kind of want to have a bottle, you know, after work with one other person or just yourself, I guess, if you're really into it. This is a self-drinker right Um, here. I mean, this is like a, it's not even like a 40 ounce of beer. It's like, it's like a, not an oversized bottle of beer kind of shape and size, but a little bit more. It's definitely a one-person job. Yeah, definitely. Yes. I mean, depending on the person. But yeah, we've, we've been um, having good success with the size. We're also kind of a boutique winery, so we don't have very big yield yet. Like, I think total we had four tons from our estate. So another reason why our bottles are smaller is we're, we're trying to increase the capacity. And so this is where we're at. And we planted over 10,000 new Pinot Noir and Chardonnay grapes this last year. And then we have some Gamay Noir coming next year. We're almost up to 13 acres with the goal of trying to get to 15. That's a lot of vines. I mean, it's a very great goal. And what else do you have planted out there? Did we cover everything that's... Well, the first thing that you can come and pick at our U-Pick farm is cherries. It's an abundant crop because the spring's been so warm. We've had no challenges with like frosts. We haven't even had to turn on our electric fans at all that keep the blossoms warm at night. So our cherries and our blueberries are first. Then we move into peaches, plums, apricots, pluots, and then nectarines. So then we move into apples, pears, quince, 
Oh my goodness. We have fields of flowers. Like we have dahlia fields, sunflower fields, and tulip fields. Okay. So with all that list, what is a pluot? Oh, a pluot is a blend between a plum and an apricot. <laughs> oh, okay. And they're beautiful. Sometimes they'll have like a purple exterior, but the flesh will be this bright pink. Interesting. They're really beautiful fruit. I thought I knew my fruit, but when you said pluot, and I'm like, mm, that's got to be a hybrid of something, but I'm not really sure what. Yeah, I had the plum part, I thought, but not the apricot. I wouldn't have, I guess, put an apricot on that. There's a lot of fruits that grow in Oregon, whether it's in the gorge or down south, that I guess as an average consumer, you don't even realize that Oregon can produce. Yeah, you know, Hood River Valley is probably one of the biggest producers of pears around the world. So, I mean, that's one thing that Hood River does is they help feed the entire world. Um, There's quite a few apple farms, too. We just planted 300 more trees of our Newtown Pippin because that's what we use to make our hard cider. And our even through COVID, our beer, cider, and wine all grew. We had increases in all because we had one of the only places that had a big outdoor lawn so you could come out and sit in picnic tables and when that was the rule that we all had to be outside but it was easy to be outside in the summer right because it was so gorgeous yeah and you do have a ton of room out there and you have a beautiful tasting room thank you so let's talk about your tasting room and then when i was out there a couple weeks ago there was a ditch being dug and now you have like something fun going out front yeah so inside our tasting room it's kind of shaped similar to like a swiss chalet Sort of a throwback to our Swiss ancestors. Big goulomb beams that's sort of pointed directly at Mount Hood with a big fireplace hearth sort of on the east side. And then we have a kitchen on our west side. And that's where we do. We actually serve Swiss authentic fondue. We have farm-to-table pizzas and then a pear salad. So our menu is pretty petite and of course, our food pairings, so they are connected with your flights, but they're all sort of involving cheese of some sort and melted cheese. That's a good Swiss person right there. <laughs> yes. All things cheese. Yeah. I mean, I, it's my favorite thing. I think when I um, was in Europe years ago, I lived off beer and cheese and bread. Right. And why I did not come home 100 pounds heavier, I'm not really sure, but all the walking. All the walking. All the walking you do in Europe. and. In Switzerland, oh my goodness, packing backpacks up mountains, up the Alps is just, it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. And then outside, we started something a couple of years ago called the Grateful Garden, which is sort of our take on a beer garden. But unlike a beer garden, we also have on tap all of our ciders, our Marionberry, peach, strawberry rhubarb, and our apple cider. And then we have six beers out there. Our hazy IPA, which won silver at the Oregon Craft Awards last year. We have an IPA, a Pilsner, a Mexican lager, and just a lot of other fun things you can drink. And then we have two of our sparkling wines out there. We have our sparkling rosé and our sparkling Riesling. But you can also get wines by the glass out there, and you can also order pizza. There's so much. I don't even really know where to go with all of it other than It's like a plethora of things to drink, eat, and things to look at and pick. Yeah. I mean, I guess our mission is kind of to weave together farming, fermentation, and hospitality, sort of like my family's mission on the earth. So we had the farming piece going. We're still selling primarily most of our fruit, farm direct, directly to the customer, better price for the customer, better price for the farmer, and then fermentation. 
at this point, we're not really distributing. So everything that we make, we sell right on our site, right on at our tasting room or down at our farm stand. And then the hospitality piece is we're kind of opening up our farm like a big living room and allowing people to come hang out and know where their food comes from and experience, you know, this idea of grapes being grown right there and then produced into wine. And we kind of get a variety of customers. We also make some non-alcoholic drinks. So it is family friendly. We make a draft root beer, a cream soda, and fresh pressed apple juice. So we kind of are trying to be a welcome mat for everybody. I I think you've done that. I mean, it's just, I, I'm not finding a spot other than, is it dog friendly? I guess that's the only. Yeah. I mean, okay. the, the rules on a farm is you have to always have your dog on a leash, but that also keeps everyone safe. Not everybody is a dog person. For so sure. If everybody has their dog on a leash, it's good for everyone. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, I just, I'm like listening to everything you're saying. I'm like, okay, I don't even know what to ask next because you've covered like all of it for the most part. Kids are welcome. Dogs are welcome. People are welcome. It's it's all good. One thing that we've added um, in the last few years is we do this thing. It's an exclusive tasting experience where we set up a long banqueting table in the vines. And we call it Table in the Vines. And you can rent it out for your birthday or your company could come. Or sometimes people do it for their rehearsal dinner. Or we've had people get married out there because it's such a unique experience. And you're right at the base of Mount Hood in the middle of our, I think, a Pinot Noir block. Nothing was leafed out when I was there. Like the apple trees weren't leafed out. You could tell that they were budding or the pear trees. Apples and pears, right? Yeah, we have it all. Yeah. We, if it can grow in Oregon, we have it planted. Yeah. I'm just realizing that my glass is empty, so we probably ought, oh, to, yeah. ought to fix it. Oh, we're going to do this, the sparkling Riesling next. So let's, All right. Let's yeah. do that. Keep Apparently, it sparkling. Oh, Eric's just as much of a drunk yeah. as I am. So I see that my glass is empty. His is empty. I plead uh, the fifth. Yeah. N- no, you don't. <laughs> uh, own it, my friend. Own it. <laughs> so this Riesling is more like an Austrian style. It's very dry. And honestly, it cuts through everything we serve at our tasting room really well. So it's great with fondue. It's wonderful with pizza Ooh, and salad. Yummy. It's very bright in your mouth, but isn't overly sweet. No, it's not overly sweet at all. It has really a nice, like a tartness and acidic piece of it without being like overbearing and really nicely. Yeah, it's really nice on the the palate. This would be great with cheese. I think everything's great with cheese. No, but like I had some weird things with cheese in Europe just recently. And I'm like, okay, everything really does go with cheese. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true too. I think one of the things that makes our wine unique is our high elevation. So you, it keeps the acidity. Where in lower valley places, you can't taste that as much in wine. So it has a more interesting mouthfeel. There's more things going on. Is that the biggest difference with high elevations like that is just that acidity and brightness? Or are there other things that high elevation type piece of your production adds to the wine? Well, you would love this. One time a Swiss winemaker came And he was trying our wines and he was telling me about alpine winds and how the mountain and the wind and the river will affect the terroir of the wine and kind of the way that the air flows will affect the wine so it won't be overly heated. But in the same breath, it will ripen a little later than places that are really hot. So it keeps the grape a little bit more protected in the process. And then in the end, you're able to drink these wines that have that acidity still going on, but not in an offensive way, but just more in an interesting way. 
I love all of that because I would have never, you know, a few years ago when I started all of this and was learning about wine, really didn't think that any of that really made any difference, right? You know, it's dirt, it's on a hillside, it's on a flat ground, it's, you know, whatever. And they really can't affect the wine that much. And boy, was I wrong. It just has become so apparent that where the grape is planted is so prolific in what it does to the flavors, the mouthfeel, the acidity, the, you know, affects the overall balance of the wine. Yeah, I feel like high elevation wines are our specialty. Crisp, bright, clean, like lights your mouth up when you drink it. But we also make a little bit of more thoughtful still wines. We have a still Riesling that we're releasing this year only to our club because it's such a small batch. And then we I brought today, when we get to it, our still rosé, which is the same blend of Cab Franc, Pinot Gris, and Pinot Noir, but without the bubbles, but is great, like lovely on like a warm day. These are all lovely for the warm days that we've been having lately and are great for summer. Thank you so much for bringing them and sharing them. And I love the labels on them. It has kind of almost like that Swiss European little feel to them. It's, and I like anything Swiss. So I just got an Edelweiss. Oh. I'm just planted at home. So it, oh, it better bloom. Yeah. That's a, I better not kill it. I guess it's, it's the, way, the way I should look at that. So what else are we missing out there? I think you've so well covered the gamut and I've had to ask so very little questions. I mean, you just, you've really done a great job telling your story and about everything you've got going out there. Well, I appreciate you for having me. I'm passionate about growing food for my community. I love the idea of making wine, beer and cider and pizzas for people to enjoy on the farm. I love the idea of people coming and experiencing the location where all those things were made. Like we make a pear pizza and we put a lot of unique things on the pizza because pizza makes a great canvas for what you're growing on a farm. So I guess I want to thank you for having me and I want to welcome anybody in your podcast community to come check us out and come be our guest sometime soon. Yes, I thoroughly agree. I'm coming back and I'm bringing my mom and I'm bringing my sister. We've already decided that. We're big dahlia nerds, I guess. Dahlias are just some of my favorite flowers. And then if I understood right, you have this beautiful field of sunflowers as well. Multiple fields, yes. And then we also have a wildflower field that's in bloom more in June. So right now our tulips are out. We have a huge field of tulips that are still in bloom. There's no admission fee. Come enjoy them. It's a dollar stem if you want to pick any. And then we move into our wildflower fields. Then from there, it's the sunflowers and then the dahlias. And we plant over 600 dahlias. So anybody who wants Instagram shots, family photos, selfies, whatever it is that you want to do, this is going to be the location you need to not only check out for flowers, but also make sure and try their wine, try their cider, try their beer. I think I had a flight of beer and cider when I was there, wasn't I? Yeah, I served you a little bit of everything. Yeah, you did. And it was all great. some people do that in their flight. They'll, instead of just having four or five of the same thing, they'll ask for a little bit of a mix and that's acceptable too. Some people want to try a little bit of everything because most people who drink wine drink other things. Oh, for sure. I feel like I'm an equal opportunity drinker. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, something delicious is just delicious, even if it's outside of the wine world. But it's also fun to drink delicious wines in Dahlia Fields. Um, Our guests will take a glass of wine and we'll walk over to our flowers. And it's just kind of fun to be able to move around a little bit. I think you appreciate the work that goes into a farm when you are in a setting like that to where you can 
roam amongst the vines, roam amongst the flowers, you know, Carlos, obviously. Carlos and I are going to have to have a hug next time since I missed missed out the last time. But I just feel like there's a whole nother level of appreciation, love, sharing, and then also those that want to come back for the experience again when there's a lot to offer like that. So you've done a really great job. Thank you. And it's an honor too when people from like the same family, like we'll have families five four or five generations have come and picked fruit with us or who have come and enjoyed what we're doing there. And that always warms our heart to see friends of our farm coming back every year. And we also have quite a few places you can walk on our farm. It's 51 acres. So in fact, one mom will bring her kids and they'll just make laps because we have kind of a a loop that goes down to Carlos, so her boys will just make laps and she'll tuck her out and she'll have a glass of wine while they're doing it. That is a smart mama <laughs> right there. I wish you were closer and, well, I don't have babies that small anymore, but that would have been a great way to get nap time in. Yeah, we're really excited to what we're doing. We feel like we're still learning, we're still growing. This is only our second bottling. So we're pretty young in the wine department, but... um We're really excited to offer these selections this year with the hope of growth in the future. Well, and one other thing I don't want you to leave without mentioning is the awards that you've gotten for the beer. Oh, yeah. That's that's important. Yeah. So we won second place in the hazy category of the Oregon Craft, which is kind of a miracle because there's like 83 entries. And we're just so honored. Our brewer, Jordan Hunt, created that recipe. And then we won gold with our peach cider in the SIP, I think it's called, um, craft cider. And so that was also an honor. We've never entered a wine in a competition yet, but we're honored for those two acknowledgments. And we're trying to make high quality, excellent products. We just don't make a lot of it. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, Trina, thank you so very much for driving all the way to join us, bringing the wine spending the time and um, i just grateful for your grateful vineyard. Yeah. Yes. And we will definitely be back. I don't know if we have it on the calendar yet, but we will definitely be back this summer once the flowers are all in bloom. We'd love that. Yes. Yeah, my pleasure to come down. Thank you. Perfect. Well, up next is the one and only Eric Berg with Ricochet. Um, (laughs) We have heard from him before, but we are going to hear from him again. I really hope everybody's got their glasses full because it is time to sit back and relax and listen to Eric Berg with Ricochet Wine. If <laughs> if you have listened to the podcast at all, he was season three right before COVID. So yep. might have been season three, episode two, maybe something rather like that. But we are going to do a really fun reboot with him and get to know him a little bit better. I know him a lot better now anyways, because we hang out way too much and know each other quite just better. And you also have a really cool project coming up, and we're going to talk about that, too. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do that as well. So 
Welcome back to the mic, Eric Berg. I am super stoked to be here. This is amazing. Yes, and thank you for being literally a last second (laughs) fill-in. I love the fact that I can call you and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I could do that. Well, for you, Heidi, I mean, you know, I don't have a lot of free time and because the hustle is real. But uh, as soon as you said, can you get over here? I was like, I will figure it out. And I'm grateful to be here for sure. You have been like Mr. Like press release here lately. You were just (laughs) on TV yesterday and yeah, you're on a, like a commercial of some sort. You're putting that modeling career that you had to really good use. Yeah, but it's more like- Let's talk about that modeling (laughs) career just a little bit. Because I know for a fact we did not talk about that last time. No, we did not. Uh, It plagues me uh, a little bit. You should be proud of it, honestly. I suppose, but there are assumptions that are made. But basically, so the short of it is, <laughs> before moving out here in my 20s, I was recruited by the Ford agency. And if you're not familiar, that's like Kate Moss's agency. It's it's big time. It's kind of big time. And I it's never, not kind of. It just is big time. But I, yeah, it was it was a big deal. And I never made a lot of money, but I was like in Macy's and Bloomingdale's, like, you know, back in the Sunday circular. You know, I actually have a picture of me. That makes you sound old, just so you know. I know. I am. (laughs) You're you're really not. Well, I mean, older than some other people. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, there's a picture of me. It's seven of me in different suits. And it was for like Brooks Brothers. And like that was like the high of my career. Okay. Uh, that the nine yeah the nine eleven happened. But I spent time in Milan and I spent three months in Miami and almost nailed down Abercrombie and Fitch. And uh, I got really close. Actually, my closest thing to fame was I was a runner-up-ish for a soap opera called Passions. I remember that. Yeah, terrible soap opera. I never watched it. Let's just say that right now. I never, I'm not a soap opera person. No, my mother was. So Passions preceded Days of Our Lives. Yes, yes. And there's like witchcraft. It was like a dumb, dumb, it was dumber than a normal But they almost cast you. Well, I got, I tried out because you don't have to be an actor to yeah. be in a soap opera. <laughs> and uh, it was for Ethan and uh, I was, whatever, whatever <laughs> Ethan is to you. And so the guy who got the gig, so I was going to move to LA and all this stuff. The guy who got the gig is the guy who plays the brother in that show, This Is Us. Oh, the, okay. The blonde guy. Okay. So I like to think that I'm like, Almost This Is Us. I, he's got like an Emmy, I think. Sure. So I'm, I, I feel like I almost got an Emmy. <laughs> there. Oh, good Lord. We have completely gone down the toilet all of a sudden. Okay. You let's, asked, let's, you asked. I know. I asked. I asked. Okay. Let's go back to wine. Yes, Okay. Please. Okay. So now Thank that you. we have your background and, and, and you were a teacher. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've been a lot of things. So this is why, and I think we talked about it. So when I was first... You invited me way back when, like literally right before the pandemic. That was such a big deal because I just launched this brand and I was packing a bag to go to Portland. And I think Olympia Provisions just like picked up my Gruner and it was like all of my Gruner. I had like 30 cases and like they took it and it was a huge deal to me. And your podcast, actually, I felt like legitimated me to some degree or validated me. Maybe that's a better word. Oh, that's so nice. That was huge for me. But at that point, the whole idea of Ricochet is there's two reasons why I've named it that. One, primarily, it's my existential crisis. (laughs) So, you know, it's sort of like my life has certainly not been a straight path. In fact, I use quotes on the back of a lot of my bottles and on my Pinot Noir, which was the very first label I ever did. I have a philosophical statement from Heraclitus, pre-Socratic, that says, no man ever steps in the same river twice. 
for he's not the same river and he's not the same man. So I think about that constantly. It's very deep. It's super deep, but you know, it doesn't have to be. But for me, you know, yeah, I was, I did that modeling thing. I was in health insurance, worked for Prudential Healthcare. I was in the restaurant biz in Chicago for 10 years. That's how I got into wine. And then I came out here. I'd learned how to make wine. I worked for Domaine Serene. I had great education. Had hip surgery at 32 for no good reason, but couldn't that walk. That is the best, one of the best hats I own with the patch with the crutches on it. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 When I did harvest with crutches, yep. right. Yep. That's how I got into teaching because I thought, well, I guess I can't make wine. I can't walk. And then I burned out on that. And I love teaching. I still like to think I'm a teacher. I teach at Linfield, intro to winemaking. I do tours and tasting and it's all immersive. Like I want people to learn because they don't always learn in tasting rooms. They get views, but they don't, they'll come to me and be like, look, I've heard about malolactic fermentation from three other wineries today. Can you please explain that? So they're not, they're not getting. It's surface level. Yeah. So I, I still like the teaching part, but ultimately I moved out here to make wine and now I'm back doing the thing that I sought out to do. I never thought that I was going to have my own brand. If you would have asked me that 19 years ago when I moved out here, I'd been like, that's, that's not even on my radar. But but sometimes side hustles become the hustle. Yep. No, for sure. If you asked me seven years ago, I would have never told you I was going to get into the wine business. And granted, I'm on the insurance business side, and I sure as hell would have never had a podcast because this is not my thing, not my jam. And I really actually dig it and love it. And it's kind of a side hustle. Yeah, but you're good at it. And you're providing a service that I think that's the other thing. It's like when you do a thing and you, maybe it wasn't the intent or the ambition, but then you find like, hey, this is kind of sticking. The pasta's sticking against the wall. Yeah. Well, then you got to, then you lean into it. Right? Yep. Yep. No, for sure. It's been, I meet great people like you guys. So, and I would have never met you without any of that. So, you there know, you there you go. I got lots of new friends. Wine is community. I friended up. That's, I think I said that the other night. I totally friended up with getting into the wine industry. I got such great people that are surrounding me now that I just am grateful every day. Well, and winemakers are great people to invite to parties. They are. Because after our party <laughs> the other night, oh my God. So we had a podcast party a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And holy moly. I bartended. You, you I just did. jumped right back in. You, you and Chris Williams were back, back there like, yeah. yeah. It, we had so much wine that was gone through, half drank, and then full bottles that came back downstairs here that was overwhelming. So I needed a massage and a chiropractor the next day. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow. Okay. Let's talk about wine. Because sure. when we first met three years ago-ish, mm-hmm. you had a Gruner yep. and you had a Pinot, correct? Yep. And maybe a blend. Red blend? I might have had maybe, that at that point. I wanted to say that you had three. We have expanded since yeah. then. I actually, um, yeah, I have like nine. Yes. Schemes. And you've redone your branding and labeling a little bit, I think, or maybe changed the colors. Yeah, no, I'm playing with like some of the new stuff now. So like, you know, this Marsan Roussan Viognier is from Walla Walla. So, you know, and now I'm kind of playing around and I wish I brought more wines because uh, I have some other labels that are kind of fun. But like on this one, I'm trying to show the Blue Mountains and like the canola fields that sort of surround the vineyard. So like, I'm trying to like, create an image. It's very abstract. And yeah. and had you not explained that, I still don't see the Blue Mountains, but I trust you. Is that little peak thing in the middle? Yeah. Well, uh, it's abstract. It's, it's very abstract. Yeah. It's very it's, but, pre- it's very pretty. But this is kind of like the color of Walla Walla. Got it. If, if like right, I mean Yeah, no, no, you know, I yeah, sense. there's a lot of wheat fields. There's the yeah. Blue Mountains. I could have put like mule deer on here, but that would have been weird. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I've grown. I mean so yeah. I don't re- I, I don't remember where I was at. I think if that was 2019, I probably had just done six tons of fruit. As of last harvest, 2022, I did 31 tons 
the hard way by myself, which is about with your sweet little girl with my with my assistant winemaker. Yep. For processing days, I, I'll get help, but for the most part, I did two thousand cases by myself, and that's where I'm at. And you're going to need another hip surgery. And probably, <laughs> probably that's a lot. It's that's a lot. lot. That's a lot to do by yourself. Yeah. And your assistant winemaker is, she's 10, 11? 11. 11 now. But I am now starting to hire. I just got my first seller hand. So a a former Linfield student of mine is going to be, you know, he's topping barrels for me and cleaning barrels and doing those things that free my time. So I am, I'm growing and the momentum has been great and I'm super humbled. And I, you know, I'm still shocked. I mean, I mention this all the time. Like I still get blown away when people know not just my wine, but I've had people now come up and be like, you're the guy who does Ricochet. I'm like, you know who I am? Because to me, it's still very much, I still have a side hustle mentality. That is sharp. Yeah, yeah. That, sorry, sorry, that was a total should, diversion. You should um, throw that I'm, out. No, I'm going to have him open that because he's already kind it's of- already so, yeah. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, oh, gosh. So, so yeah, so there. The, we've had carnage here on the show with yeah. the, my um, really cheap wine opener that- we have opened now with the Pinot and the Viognier, and there might have been like a little bit of- um, Just some blood. A little bloodshed. It's fine. Yeah. Blood, sweat, and tears. Yes, there we go. Um, Literally. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I mean, the hustle is real. I talk about it constantly. You can't rest in your laurels. And, the, you know, the hustle is real, even if you're a 10,000 case winery. But in that case, you have a team and you have investors and you have, you know, for me, it's still, I divested my teaching retirement to get through the pandemic so that I could keep doing this. So it's become, there's good momentum, but it's still very much a hustle and it's still very much not a guarantee. There are no guarantees. And all I can do is hope to make clean wines that people dig. My club's growing. I have really good supporters. And it's almost become like its own thing. Like I work for the brand now, you know, because of there's, there is that positive momentum. Sure. No, you're doing a lot of cool things. And you know, I watch, obviously, what you do. And I know what you do because we're friends and I do your insurance. <laughs> so right. I, I have to know what you're doing, right? But it's been really fun. When I met you, you were still at Day Wines working in that cellar. And you have since really moved on. And I see the hustle with you all the time. And that's why it was, this is really great timing. Because A, I want to talk about the wines quick, but B, this wine mixer that Mm -hmm. you have coming up Memorial Day weekend is another one of your hustles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I keep in mind, I'm hustling technically right now because I'm working a farmer's market right now. (laughs) Well, you brought in in a free employee to pour while I stole you down the block. Yeah. No, I'd love to talk. I mean, so the idea of this indie wine mixer came last Thanksgiving. It was four of us. It was my idea. And it was, I reached out to three of my friends who are also small and also don't have tasting rooms. And, you know, Thanksgiving weekend is a big open house weekend for all the wineries, as is Memorial Day. And that was a really nice, good event. And I was going to do it again. It was going to be at Mac Market. And I thought, you know, instead of four, maybe I can get like eight wineries. And I don't really remember how I got it out there. I think I put something out on a forum or then the Oregon Symposium happened. And I, I met a lot of folks. And Within days, I had 20 wineries that said, I want to be a part of that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Do you I really mean, have it, 20 apart? The Indie Wine Mixer is Memorial Day weekend. It's two days. You buy tickets either for Saturday or Sunday. It's $40 for a ticket for 20 wineries. It's going to be like 75 wines represented. Um, so you get you can try your best to taste through all of them. Uh, have got, a driver. 
have a driver. Designated drivers are free, but we have a food truck on site. We have Los Capitos the first day. So we got burrito truck the first day. Second day is Wooden Heart Pizza. We'll be pumping in some good tunes and it's all people. Like, so I at 2000 cases at this point, surprisingly, am kind of one of the bigger players because there are people that are there that it's their first festival. It's their first event with their brand. They have one, two, or three wines. It's their first vintage. They did what, when I met you three years ago, uh, I had 150 cases or whatever. That's where these folks are. And they're making some killer wine, but they don't have the forum or the resources. And so the whole idea of the Indie Wine Mixer now is to bring people under one roof, which by the way, for like open house weekend, why bounce around to three or four wineries and drive Yep, where you can go to the bindery in downtown Mac and get 20 wineries and then you're walking distance to restaurants. You're walking. It's kind of a perfect setup, I think. It it really is. I mean, I had no idea you had twenty. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. And I got eight or ten wineries on the wait list, which just kind look of at, dem- look at you being an event planner. Oh, it's you know what? I'm neglecting my wine right now for this, <laughs> and you know I have to think about that. But I love it. I've done events like I kind of get adrenaline. I like throwing parties, and I was a fine dining guy too. So I kind of like I, I like making sure that. Uh, People have a good time and I want to make, I, I like thinking about all the small things, right? Uh, so that everyone, everything's planned out. But the fact that there's a wait list, I mean, I just got someone to ask me just two days ago if they could be part of it, you know, 10 days before the event. It shows that there is a thirst, there's a hunger, the hustle is real for everyone that is making wine. They're not making money. I still don't pay myself. You know, it that's all goes just, back. It, it all that's goes the back definition the of the wine industry. Right. So if you're small, you're competing with someone who does do 10,000. Like the competition is the same regardless if you're an indie or you're not. It's you're still fighting for shelf space. You're still fighting to get into people's houses, you know, on their shelf. And it's harder now than it was even when we last met. I think I think the hustle's harder now than ever to get your brand out there. Because there's so many more people doing it. There is. I mean, it's I always say that there's a lot of noise in the wine industry and it's the one thing that I really love about the podcast is that I usually find these small wineries, these independent wineries, some big, some legends, you know, we're kind of hitting all the pieces, but I love the boutiques so much because I think they're overlooked often because there's somebody bigger, more established that has better marketing, bigger marketing budget, whatever the case is, but the wine is just as astronomically good. Right. And I don't want to say that there's more heart and passion in it, but there is to an extent because your lifeline is really literally on the line. You have to make this good. You have to sell it. You have to put yourself out there on every aspect to sell it or you don't pay the bills. Um, I say yes to every opportunity and I miss softball games and I, you know, and it's part, it's part of the gig, right? Yep. But what also it's the happens, small business owner piece too. Right. I mean, just that's, in general. And that's true. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, but the other side is, at least in this, the tourism side, most people don't have access to the winemakers. But when you're indie, you're getting the person with the calloused hands. You're getting the person who, I mean, I am the one jumping in the press. Like I'm doing all the work and then I'm hustling and I'm doing Instagram probably too much because that's you. You have you, to. You have to. Um, you, but it's you, cool from a consumer standpoint, I think, when you go, I mean, working the farmer's market, farmer's markets are generally not the winemaker. It's yeah. usually, you know, there's someone to do that. And 
people ask me all the time, like, wait, you made this? I go, yeah. And I think it's kind of like, it's almost like the farm to fork. People like to have that connection to the product. Agreed. And then I'm going to speak to my wine better than anyone else. So I prefer it to be me. I think that's a big thing that really makes Oregon stand apart. And I'm not trying to alienate any of the other states, but Oregon, the ability and the opportunity to meet with the winemaker and drink with the winemaker and actually have a moment or in a timeline and place and time with the winemaker is so much more there. Like you have the opportunity to do this a lot more because there are so many boutiques, so many independent, you know, indies out there that are doing it out of the passion and love. And they're not going to, you know, be the rich guy down the road, probably. Maybe. I mean, you never know, but there's a lot of big misconceptions about how rich people are in the wine industry. Right. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I there's other interesting things that have happened since I've launched this brand. I mean, I went to a top 10 university and most of my friends are, quote unquote, more successful on paper in terms of uh, what they do for a living or what. And it's not, I'm not even talking money. Like I have a college friend who, you know, was on Obama's, you know, Middle East peace team. Well, that's pretty, that's up there, yeah. right? As far as like, okay, you did some things, you made it, man. And some of these friends of mine actually have some envy for what I do, even though I'm scraping by. I'm 47 and I'm still like, I haven't made it. I don't, I can't rest my laurels. I have a friend who's 49 and he's retiring, which is confounding to me. But, <laughs> but, but even still, they'll be like, I wish I could do what you're doing. And I don't know if it's because it's making wine and it's passion. I don't know if it's wearing Carhartts and they just want to wear Carhartts. I don't know what it is. But there is something about this gig that, I mean, I've got the bug. I can't think about, I, mean, I don't know what else I would do. Yeah. Because this is, it's such a dynamic, it's seasonal. You have harvest and then you have the sales, you know, summer sales and like, that's fun. And there's all these sorts of things to it. It's not just sitting at a desk. It's not like doing contracts. It's yeah. not, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's something new every day. It's something new every day. Yeah. It's not necessarily important. Yeah. Well, but, it is to some. I mean, they want their wine every night or whenever it is. So right. it is God. very important to some. <laughs> Thank goodness for yes, those folks. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about your wine. Sure. So we had the first one, which was a Viognier something something rather mix. <laughs> That's exactly what I yes. call it. I call it a Viognier something something. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's a new product. It's Marsan Roussan Viognier from Le Colline Vineyard. You mentioned I made Gruner. I lost my Gruner contract last year. So I pivoted and it's my first Washington fruit and it's equal parts Marsan, Roussan, and Viognier. And this is where my assistant winemaker, my daughter, we foot stomp the Viognier, but it all gets thrown into a press. And my whole brand is low intervention or natural, depending on how you look at it. It's a whole other fight. But in this particular one, it would qualify as a natural wine. So no sulfur up front, wild yeast ferment, no additives, no enzymes, and it's unfiltered. So I just let it ride. And I'm pretty happy with it. I think summertime, I mean, I'm going to crush, someone's going to crush this. You're going to crush this, Heidi. Yeah. <laughs> oh, as far as the rest of the bottle? Yeah. Oh, I'll take that home. Right. I, got, I got a college kid at my house tonight. So her and I will totally polish that off. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And then I didn't, because I just grabbed stuff from the farmer's market, but I brought my 2020 Pinot Noir, which is always one of those things where, I mean, talk about a hustle. As soon as you say, here's my 2020, people go, no, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah, and let's talk just really briefly why that is, because not everybody knows 
what 2020 is, was, was and has been. I don't know. Nothing uh, bad happened that year. Just, let's let's not blow smoke up anybody's rear end. Let's uh, let's well, talk about how, smoke. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, what COVID plus uh, then the wildfires, and that was the big deal. I was set up to have four sites that I was sourcing for Pinot Noir. I lost two of them. One of which was right by the fire in the Shalem Mountains. But I had to make wine. And maybe people out there don't know. Some people didn't make wine in, in a 2020. A lot of people did not make wine. And particularly lar- a lot of larger wineries because it was also an economic downturn because of the pandemic. So they were sitting on inventory. And there was also a belief among many that it was impossible to make wine. And then the wine spectator, before the grapes are picked, basically, or whatever, the wines are made, said it was a ruined vintage. So there's all this sort of like negative... Uh, and let, and yeah, and let's dissect and justify that a little bit. So red wines, yes, because you have to soak the grapes on skins. on skins. And that's where you get the color. That's where you get the cannons. You get the flavors. You get all that good stuff. Right. So the smoke is a lot more prominent in red wine. Whites, you press right off. So the smoke doesn't really attached right. to that near as much. That's why you see a, saw a so lot of there's a lot of rosés and a lot of whites. Right. And rosés do have a te- a little bit of soak, but not very long. Correct. And so um, Look at me sounding smart. Yeah, no, you said that was amazing. So for me, because my brand was growing, I didn't have the choice to not make wine because then I wouldn't have any I would lose my momentum. And so for me, where this wine, so this 2020 Willamette Valley, this is not the style that I would make. But if you didn't call an audible that vintage, then you probably made an ashtray tasting kind of wine because of the skins. So for me, I did not pick my fruit during the smoke. And a lot of people did because we were freaking out and the vines were shutting down. And we bats were flying during the day and trees were blue. It was a weird time. It looked like a zombie apocalypse yeah, around it here. It was weird. So, but the vines were also shutting down. And it was also ripe. It was, it was super hot. So folks were pulling the grapes during the smoke. And then where I was making the wine at the time, uh, one of the wineries, it was a collaborative spot, was using a garden hose on the sorting line and just gray ash was on the floor. Well, I just wasn't ready to do anything. I hedged and I hedged and I was doing all this research about to smoke it in skins, to smoke it into stems, to work, you know, all this stuff. And we had 10 days of smoke. And you might remember, Heidi, we had on the 11th day, a pretty good rain. I mean, it cleared mm-hmm. the skies. It, it did, yeah. And I picked a couple of days after that. And I think that saved, like, I tell everyone, like, if this particular Pinot Noir tastes like a Camel Light, I would not have put my sticker on it. But even though this wine is not the style that I normally do, I'm really proud of it because I made 200, 250 cases and I'm down to six cases and it's going and people like it. Now- It's fruity. I mean, it's good. There's absolutely no smoke a- that- I can detect it is a big Pinot. Yeah. And that's on purpose. So my audible was fully destemmed. I usually do whole cluster fermentation, but I didn't want any surface area I didn't need. And what that does is it makes it a big, more fruit forward wine. I did put wood chips. I mulched my fermenters and wood is sponge. And that I think helped pulled out some toxins. I still did three weeks. This is still a wild ferment. It's still unfiltered. So I still stay true to that. And then when I pressed it off, instead of just one day settling out before barrel, I let it hang out for five or so days. And so you think about all the suspended yeast. Mm-hmm. Well, that's lees fighting. And those little those little guys, are they're sponges too. And so when that all sort of settled out, when I racked to go to barrel, the bottom of that settling tank was dark. It was black. 
And so I was just patient. Um, I do think there's a, kind of a little Lefroy peediness, like on the back end of this. A, a what? Like a peediness. Okay, that's not what I heard the first time. So Wait, what do you think? I'm not telling Feediness? you. Feediness? Nope, nope. Keep talking. <gasps> what did you think I said? <laughs> <laughs> that's why I asked you to repeat it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's going to, I'm going to think about whatever you thought forever. So, you know, I'm an honest broker. If people say, did the smoke impact this particular wine? Of course it did. But it also impacted my winemaking decision and I still made it and I'll be happy to move on. But I also think this vintage speaks to the indie folks because all my other indie folks, friends, also didn't have a choice. And so you got to kind of tip your hat to people who made wine in 2020, um, yep. one way or the other, because yep. because there were plenty of people who said it couldn't be done. And that's just not true. Yep. Nope. Totally agree. Well, I don't have a great palate, so I don't pull out the little nuances, but I don't taste or smell smoke. So. It's very fruity. This is my kind of Pinot because I like the fruitier Pinots, but I'm weird sometimes. No, that's so, great. So, you know, this is this is my kind of wine. Yeah. And so. I say Camel Light because that's what I used to smoke. Yeah. I meant to go back to that. So yeah. you used to smoke Camel Lights. <laughs> Can you hear it? <laughs> no. No. Just thought you had kind of, you yeah. know, that. The wheezy. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I was a Camel Light pack a day guy in my 20s. I would have not guessed that. But you were also a model. So there you go. Well, that's right. Yeah. I don't eat. Yeah, you yeah. got to smoke and not eat to be a model. Don't smoke. So you got to have that six pack. That's right. Yeah. But not a beer. Yes. <laughs> no beer. Yeah. Oh, Those are my vodka days. What, what a boring life. Not really. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, you've been to Switzerland. I, I haven't been. I, I have. Right. I've, so I've been very drunk in Germany too. And I only remember because I took pictures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. A little bit of Oktoberfest time goes a long way. <laughs> it's hard on the memory. I saw Aha play the Pride Parade in Munich. What a random thing. Right. All the way around. <laughs> Sorry. That just popped in my head. I was yeah. like, I saw that. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about this indie wine mixer and oh, yeah. when it is. Yeah. Can I challenge you and ask you to name off the other 20? Oh, man. Uh, I can try to do it alphabetically. So Augustina, Approachment. There's another A in there. Why am I blank? Arabilis, Burton Bittman, Botaneity, Coquina, Delaboo, Flipturn, Gonzalez. Human Cellars, Jackalope, J.K.L. Liska, M. Monument, and I don't think there's an N. O. P. Patton Valley, because now Patton Valley's indie, because yeah. they, yeah. Q. R. Redolent, and Suzor, and Sunshine Effect. There's another S. I think I'm missing. Ah, I don't think there's a T. Oh, Ricochet, by the way. Uh, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Nice work. I'm in there. Thank. Oh, I remember myself. UV. I think. I think that's everyone. Uh, no, I'm definitely missing someone. I'm missing a couple, but that's pretty good for an old. Brain. Oh, that was impressive. Yeah, that was uh, that was better than I thought you'd do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the faith. You're welcome. Yeah, you should put a bet on that. Yeah, and so it's again. It's, so it's Memorial Day weekend. The bindery, forty dollars tickets. Tickets are available online but they'll also be available during the day. We are recommending people buy them online because it's limited capacity. And so it will help us kind of plan out uh, how many people are coming. But 5% of the ticket sales are going to two veterans nonprofits because it is Memorial Day. And that's also the ricochet model. I give 5% to different organizations uh, that help people bounce back. And so with that in mind, the NDY Mixer is going to support the Heroic Hearts Project which is a veterans organization that helps 
veterans with PTSD, like paralyzing PTSD, and it takes them down to Columbia and then in the future here in Oregon to do ayahuasca or psilocybin therapy, which I support. And then the other organization is the Foundation for Women Warriors. And apparently women are making up for the majority. It's the fastest growing segment of the military. Hmm. And so it's helping single moms or, or like just providing resources for women that get out of the, the military. So people can come to the Indie Wine Mixer, enjoy 20 different wineries that are just trying to eke it out and hustle like everyone else, and then feel good about some of their dollars are going to these organizations. Well, that was great. What time does it, okay, A, what time does it start? 12 to 6, both Saturday and Sunday, May 27th and 28th. And is there a website? Yes, IndieWineMixer.com. And is that where they get tickets? Yes. And we're also on the gram, as the kids say, at, <laughs> at my at is Indie Wine Mixer. There you go. I-N-D-I-E. Correct. Not Indie like the Colts. Right. Or yes. Jones. Or Grand Prix or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do an Indiana Jones festival at some point. Yeah. There that's you. down the line. That, that would be so fun. I'm, I'm in for that one. Wine and whips. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. That just went S&M. <laughs> you should make sure you call it Harrison Ford and ask oh him to, to be part. <laughs> so, and short round. So, I don't know what just happened. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Eric and Trina, for joining us and everybody who joined us for season six, episode six of the Wine Crush podcast. We are so glad you're here. Please do not forget to go on and review, subscribe, and share us with your friends. And as always, thank you to Daniel with South of Autumn Productions and Dustin with Biscuit and Pickles Catering for all the kick-ass food we're going to have here in just a minute. And thank you again, everybody, for listening. And we will be back in the next week or so with another episode. 